Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast, the podcast for games of all platforms, including your Vault Tech Pip Boy. I am Daniel Winter. And I'm Mark Uessa. How are you, Mark? Oh, I am well. I just had a delightful meal of Korean barbecue, so I'm happy. Very nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to exploring some cuisine this next week. I've got a, already got a hot pot uh, meetup planned so uh yeah we're definitely exploring more of that at pax later this week but more on that later yeah so it looks like you've been some had some traveling in your in your last couple of weeks too yeah i did uh actually i went down to seattle to watch a concert uh, with my family i didn't have many stops planned for myself of course the family always takes precedence uh, but i wanted to <laughs> at very least take a stop over at famous place i've heard so much about called mox boarding house mm, yeah i know that there's a couple of locations so this was the one that's in the kind of north west of seattle so i don't know what neighborhood that is but it i uh, just stopped in didn't didn't have a meal or anything just wanted to check it out the retail side and check out the vibe and it definitely lived up to all expectations what a cool environment there was lots of board games on sale there's cool accessories helpful staff there was a dedicated rpg section which was kind of small but fine miniatures and uh, a decent ccg section and the restaurant seems to have been hopping as well so yeah i was very excited to spend a short amount of time there might have picked up a couple treats for myself excellent (laughs) and i saw some cool things uh, like i saw uh, Zhang Shi, for instance, in the role-playing mm, section. So yep. shout out to uh, our friend, Semfun Lim, and Banana Chan, obviously. And there was other cool stuff. So that was great. I wish I could have spent a lot more time there than I did. Yeah, I went to at least one of the moxes earlier this year during OrcCon. It was very late at night, and I have no point of reference for what direction it was in, so I'm not sure which location it was. It was the bigger of the two. I believe really, the other one was is quite smaller, but this was a huge space, like a, a huge open floor, and then a dedicated CCG room, and a dedicated miniature room, and then a restaurant area, so it may have been the same one, by sound of it. But yeah, huge space, huge huge range of things that have... Uh, a bigger range that, that I'm used to seeing in, in, a, in the retail space up here, so that was, that was always a lot of fun, and the... Uh, the restaurant was really nice too. So yeah, I, I had a great time at that. Would love to to go back sometime. We'll have to arrange it if we can go down to a con in the US, uh, in the Seattle area sometime in the future, maybe OrcaCon itself. Yeah, well, OrcaCon's coming up in, in not very long. I think it's the first week end in January. Okay. Uh, I, I won't be able to make it myself this year. I've got family in town, but I h- highly recommend that. There's some some excellent friends I'll, uh, that will, will be there. There's a lot of great food obviously in the area around seattle and uh yeah i mean it's not the, the best time to visit the pacific northwest but there'll be the the, com- the company will be excellent i can say that at least and it's a good it's a great, well-organized convention down there yeah for sure seattle's so great i mean obviously it's a cool city i actually don't go down there very often because i kind of feel like it's very much a kindred kind of sister city to vancouver <laughs> so i feel like a lot of the great stuff they have down there we also have but obviously it has so much going on for it such as you know it's the headquarters of all these great tech companies and game publishing companies it's a no-brainer you know tech nerds and game nerds are kind of the same people let's be honest uh, but you know this headquarters of so many so many uh game companies uh like wizards of the coast and you know microsoft to name a few so 
wouldn't you know it, of course, they're going to have fantastic gaming spaces. And uh, yeah, Mox Boarding House uh, lived up to the hype. Excellent. Well, I I don't have a lot to talk about in the news. I've got uh, some some lukewarm news that I've scraped together from th- things that I didn't have time to mention in previous episodes, shall we say. Uh, this first one, came, the news itself came out a month or two ago, but it isn't quite live yet. This is for the game Sea of Thieves, video game from Microsoft and uh, Rare, I believe it was, the, the sort of pirate, not quite MMO, it's like... Group-based PvP, VE, <laughs> uh, set, set on the high seas in a pirate ship and micromanaging the ship. And, and you can you can look for treasure, but you can also raid other people's uh, ships. And I, I, a game I love the aesthetic of. I love the, the vibes and the, the, like, getting a group together and managing the ship together was a lot of fun. It just gave me a huge amount of anxiety, the, the constant threat of... The, the PvP, Any, anyone you see in the game can potentially attack you and take all your stuff. And so that, that, that ing- constant like, anxiety of never knowing when you, what, what a ship's intentions are when you see one on the horizon uh, basically led me to, to not stick with the game. But they announced that they're going to do something that they had said they would never do, and that is the safe seas mode, uh, basically a, a PvE-only server. I believe there'll be some some features that won't be included in that. The idea is it's basically an onboarding process. That they they still want to funnel you into the the regular game mode, but there's a basically a, a yeah the, the kiddie pool uh, <laughs> of piracy basically to to sail around without having to have that threat over your head. So I, I I'd love to, to at least poke my head back into that game and just uh, explore a bit and experience the more story focused elements of it, and hopefully I can get a, a group together for that. Yeah, that sounds kind of promising. I've always been intrigued by Sea of Thieves, uh, and I know it's like incredibly, incredibly popular. Although it started off with a, a rocky on rocky waters, uh, <laughs> but it's turned itself around. Um, actually, my kid was talking about pirate-themed games because uh, they're into you know One Piece and themes like that, and they I just suggested, oh, there's this game called Sea of Thieves, but you know I don't really know anything about it, so I should try it out and see what it's all about. Um, so, yeah, that, we've got no excuses now. I wouldn't be surprised if they even do some licensed One Piece material because they have done some licensed uh, like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and uh, Monkey Islands content yeah, in there. That's right. So you never know. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't really have any single player stuff either, but I think Monkey Island can be played single player, right? The, the Monkey Island expansion. Yeah, they've put out a lot of story-focused expansions over the years. And so that's that's the main thing I really want to go back to and, and ch- check some of those out. Speaking of solo play, one other quick bit of news is we've been talking increasingly about some TTRPGs lately. One of those we've mentioned a few times on and off has been Vason from Free League Publishing. And they, about a, I think it was about a month ago now, so again, little old news, but they r- released a solo uh, rule set for that game. Something that I'm interested in checking out because I have most of the books for that. I don't know that I'll get a chance to to try it out properly, but that, that'll be a, a good chance to sort of just familiarize myself with the uh, with the setting and the, and the and the rule set basically for a little practice mode, shall we say? <laughs> very good. I actually am also very very curious about solo RPGs. Uh, I know they're really hot right now and and for good reason you know there's nothing quite as depressing as having your um you know your group cancel on you one week when you were really excited for the particular session of a particular game coming up 
no knocks on any particular company here. Uh, <laughs> but for that reason, I'm, I'm really interested in checking some stuff out. And I, I bought this cool product called for Star Trek Adventures uh, called Captain's Log. It's essentially kind of a streamlining of the 2D20 Star Trek Adventures rules. And it's expressly made to, you know, basically be the captain of your own ship. You can create your own series and you're you're at the helm <laughs> and you're going on the adventures. And it sounds very intriguing. This also made me think of a new campaign that just started on Humble Bundle for a solo RPG library by a kind of indie publisher, Parts Per Million. There's a what is it? 20, 40, 42 item bundle of basically solo conversion helper books for a whole bunch of systems. Not Vasin, unfortunately, but games like Blades in the Dark, uh, 13th Age, Old School Essentials, um, Stars, Stars Without Number, Nave, Worlds Without Number, Mothership, Fate, Dungeon World, even that system 2D20, which uh, we'll talk about a little bit later as well. So that's potentially promising. Uh, awesome. I hadn't seen that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty new. So uh, for the listeners out there in podcast world, it's going on for about 20 more days. Uh, so that'll take uh, up until about mid to late December. So you can still cash that there. Yeah. I, m most solo TTRPGs that I've seen seem to rely on some form of journaling, which I'm not entirely sure I have the patience for. You, I guess you need some excuse to actually draw out those those character beats rather than just talking to yourself or <laughs> some way of expressing what it is your character is going through. But yeah, it's, it's hard to to work up the motivation of doing that by yourself when there's like video games or board games provide a lot less friction and, and research going into that. So I'm not sure if it's for me, but I definitely want to try one of them and, and, and see see how it fits yeah i'm feeling very much the same way uh but you know like journaling and mindfulness is apparently really good for your you know state of mind and you know in this day and age probably lots of people can use that help to kind of organize their brain a little bit more so i am definitely conceptually all for it excellent face face the the horrors of Vason to uh in, in face your own inner demons at the same time that's right <laughs> Yeah, so that's all exciting stuff. Do you got any other news for us? Uh, no, that's it for today. Uh, I, I'm expecting to have a lot more news next episode, potentially, for uh, coming back from PAX. But most of my uh, mental capacity is in planning for that right now. <laughs> yeah, and me, um, I won't. I purposely won't mention any of the Black Friday sales I've indulged in because I've spent too much money. So, and, and they'll be done by the time this episode's out. I managed to not spend any money this Black Friday, but mostly because I, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to be coming back with at PAX. So, uh, saving some space on my shelf, shall we say. There you go. You're more disciplined than I am. <laughs> All right. Shall we talk about the playlist then? Let's do it. What's What have you been playing lately? Yeah, I, I just cracked open a, a brand new game to me uh, just last night. I started playing a little bit, like like even only just about an hour, of a slick new title, new-ish title called Jedi Survivor. So mm. this is the sequel to the Star Wars Jedi, I think it's called Outcast, the first one. Right, which yeah, I, I, I did finish. <laughs> yeah, I, it, was on, it was on Game Pass, right, the first one? 
Yes, that's where I, where I would have played it, I believe. Right, yeah. so I played through that whole thing, really enjoyed it, thought it was a cool kind of, I guess, a little bit Demon Souls, Dark Souls light, super, super light. More accessible than that, yeah. It's yeah. a bit some Metroidvania elements thrown into Yeah, really just a nod to that. And the new version is actually even more, like, slightly more open-worldy. I wouldn't... I don't want to say that too lightly because it's it's not open world. <laughs> but even from just the little I've seen, the maps are much less linear than they were in the um, original Jedi uh, Outcast. So I'm excited to play some more of it. I, I borrowed it from the library and I'm playing it on Xbox Series X. And oh, by the way, this game like makes Starfield look like ass. <laughs> this game <laughs> is so polished looks fantastic it helps that it's in a very rich well-trodden world like star wars yeah i've i've heard great things about that i don't care a lot about star wars not enough to pay full price for the game at least but i've heard enough that i definitely want to play it so maybe uh maybe let me know when you return it to the library and i'll go check it out (laughs) yeah for sure i'll give you a heads up although if there's no one borrowing it maybe i'll just renew it a few times until i beat it that's the benefit of having Xbox. The the PlayStation games are a lot more popular. No one's renting out those Xbox versions. <laughs> there you go. A, a hidden advantage of having the Xbox. So yeah, Jedi Survivor. I'm enjoying it so far. Excellent. Well, speaking of the library, I, I got one in uh, this last week. Uh, have, have been on hold for three or four months since its release, and that is Pikmin 4. So I, I played the demo of it when it first came out. I may have mentioned that in the podcast, but... Uh, Finally, the, the full version came in. I was I played it with my daughter, the, the demo, and she and she'd loved it. So I was looking forward to playing the full game of that. Uh, and yeah, I'm still I'm still really loving it. There's a as a concept in this they really dwell upon that sort of helps contextualize the series as a whole, but also some of the other similar games like T- Tinykin. I think it was that we covered. All right. And that is the Japanese art of Dendori. The which they quote as let me find it here. The, the quote uh, is: "Dendori is the art of organizing your tasks strategically, and working with maximum efficiency to execute your plans quickly." Now, I'm not sure how much how sort of common that sort of parlance is in in Japan proper, or if it's sort of sort of drudged up for the game. But uh, I, I, I do find it, help, it helps sort of. So contextualize what's enjoyable about these games. I don't know how efficient I am necessarily, but the way the game gives you lots of little tasks to sort of micromanage and the satisfaction of just lots of little moments of fulfillment, basically, whether it's defeating this monster and 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 carrying the the the, the corpse back to the, the, your, your base or the uh, cleaning up all the rubbish that you find around the level on creating bridges and just, just fill, filling in. Check, checking not so much checking boxes but just completing lots of little moments of, of, of satisfaction and I, I'm really been enjoying that the this game does add a lot more sort of mini levels almost both caves underneath the the main levels that have a bit of a not quite roguelike but more of a gauntlet mode where you can't fulfill your Pikmin so you have to go through multiple sort of sub levels and, and, and save them as much as possible because you can't replenish your crew. There's little mini Dendori levels where you basically reset you reset your, your squad to zero and you have to be in a, in a very concise sort of, what's the word, 
co- sort of compacted version of of the main game very quickly escalate and 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 recollect a squad of Pikmin to to basically battle against uh, an enemy uh, group. Uh, usually like a quick, quick little five minute challenges. There's what, a, a nighttime mode that I, I just tried, which is basically like a, a zone defense, area defense. What's, what's the word? Uh, t- tower defense almost. So there's lots of little different modes of playing in this, uh, sub sub levels and things that, uh, that are playing with that formula in some more unique ways. So I've really been enjoying that. Uh, Unfortunately, it has to go back to the library, but I'll, I'll definitely be picking that up for my daughter for Christmas, I think, and we'll be continuing on there. Oh, very cool. I'm glad to hear that it's a thumbs up from, from you. I've played some of those Pikmin games in the past, and I've enjoyed them. Uh, that, that that term, Dandori, is new to me, having grown up in a Japanese household. I've certainly never heard of it, but I can I can kind of understand like what you're, what you're describing there. There's something about an a sort of efficiency puzzle that you get like pleasure just from lining things up just from ordering ordering things in an efficient way and then knocking them all down like like dominoes right something adjacent to sort of Marie condoing your uh, your video game level i guess <laughs> there you go both both some popular japanese philosophers there <laughs> very cool well I, I haven't played any other video games or board games so i'm just going to talk about a ttrpg that i tried out for the first time a friend of the show um joe dime store from our discord channel who actually participates in our fallout group was gracious enough to show me and my neighbors a system that's new to us called blades in the dark it's very very popular in the sort of non dnd space and it's uh, basically the progenitor of this subgenre called Forge in the Dark. It's all about pulling off these cool heists in a very like rich, moody setting. It's this sort of mythical 19th century London-esque environment, very much akin to the video game series Dishonored. Right, mm. right, right down to the sea creatures' blood being used as fuel for <laughs> Tesla-ish electrical magical so a little energy. Steampunk in there. <laughs> super, super steamed punk, super grim, dark. A little bit of maybe like what's that one? Bloodborne thrown in for you, and like everything is perpetually dark in this dark city called Duskval. So super moody. I think probably lots of video game fans would enjoy it because it naturally flows it just kind of seems like a video game like uh what's that heist series called pay something payday payback pay payday payback payday i think it's yeah called. Uh, yeah i don't play them yeah. so <laughs> I, I don't know it well but there are games that are all about getting in and getting out right pulling off the op and this is exactly that and the cool thing about blades in the dark is that it's all based on streamlining and removing all of the analysis paralysis that could potentially come with a heist movie, right? You go in to the situation with some basic rough parameters and you don't really plan anything. What you do is you leverage this in-game mechanism called, they're essentially flashbacks. (laughs) So you can instantiate these flashbacks by spending a little bit of currency. I think it's called stress. So you pay stress out of your, you know, your your limited meter. And you can do that to pull off these miracles. Like, oh, so you- well, hey, I knew that was going to happen. So I planted this tool right here so that I would know exactly at the right time and be able to pull it out. Just like so a- you're retroactively 
doing yes. all the planning for the heist based on what you what challenges you come come across. That's right. Very you're cool. you're okay. pulling off these re- retcons <laughs> in real time, and it plays out just like a heist movie, like a, from the cinema. It's really really exciting because you're thinking on your feet rather than agonizing. You know that a large percentage of the things you plan for are probably not going to happen. And it's not like you have to spend two hours doing all the preparatory stuff before you actually get to the fun part. (laughs) Yeah, actually, in the session that Joe ran for us, we ran from, I think, four hours, but we did the teach, the session, and wrapped it all up like a full heist in in four hours, which is like unheard of, at least for me. So we probably did the teach for like 45 minutes there. So uh, I was super blown away by how the system just works. And, awesome. uh, so this is a, a one-shot system, or is it like sort of an escalating series of heists? No, you absolutely can play it um, in a campaign-based capacity. And the cool thing that we didn't really touch upon at all is that in Blaze in the Dark, you have this entity that you kind of nurture as a group. So in Blaze in the Dark, it's your crew. Like, you're leveling your gang. All the players belong to a gang, and if you level your gang, basically you get cool new equipment, you know, a gang of thugs, secret abilities, turf. Like, it's so cool (laughs) that you're leveling something other than just you, which kind of unifies the group of players even more. And in the sci-fi sister game, Scum and Villainy, you are leveling up your spaceship. So you're leveling up, like, the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, I was going to ask, I, I, was, I couldn't remember if there was a, a, a sci-fi version of this site or if I was thinking of something else. Yeah, that, that I've heard re- highly recommended too. Yeah, it's basically this whole like sub-genre now. So, Blades in the Dark, super cool. Thumbs up. I don't know if me personally, I like that sort of grim, dark world for mm. an extended period, but definitely for one shot, like so cool, a real unique experience. Excellent. Well, yep. Let's try and do a, a, a scum and villainy <laughs> uh, one shot sometime. There you go. I'm sure Joe will be happy to help us out. Excellent. Well, uh, I've, I have not been playing any TTRPGs other than Fallout and more on that later. Uh, I have been playing a few board games. Uh, the one of note I particularly wanted to talk about was... There's, a, there's, a, there's currently a, a bit of a, a trend in board game themes, shall we say, growing like mushrooms, and that is mushroom-themed games are everywhere right now. Uh, just this last week, I, I learned of a new one, and uh, Ravensburger very kindly sent over a copy, so this, this was a, a review copy provided. This is called Mycelia. Not to be confused with another game called Mycelia that was kickstarted earlier this year, I think coming out next year. Uh, so this is the, the Ravensburger Mycelia. So this is a, a deck building game where you're using the deck of cards to manipulate a sort of grid. You've got a, you've got a, a, a grid in front of you with a bunch of crystals scattered across it. And you're trying to move the crystals off the board, and these the, the cards in your hand basically let you move crystals on a, on a particular color, or a or, or destroy them entirely, or give you currency to buy new and better cards. I mean, the, there's not, the mushrooms don't really come across in the theme here. All the cards do have mushrooms on them. Very cutesy, uh, sort of Everdell, uh, anthropomorphic 
mushrooms. Very, very, very cute artwork, and there's a lot of flavor text on there that, that's quite a nice touch. Uh, so adorable presentation. The, the mushroom theme doesn't really come across, but I do really enjoy the the, the just the, the the way you're moving these crystals around. It forms this interesting little puzzle. Then it's going to how you go about solving that is going to be different every game based on which cards come out because you've you've, uh, you've got five five cards as as you'd expect in a, in a deck building game. Five cards you can buy at any time to to give you some new options and trying to remember what cards you've bought so you can plan for a a, a big move becomes pretty key as I, as I learned a couple of games in uh so yeah I've, I've really been enjoying this it it, it's, it 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 plays very quickly you've got only three cards in hand you have to play all three of them in any order so and most of them are pretty simple like get get a couple of currency points or move a gem on a on a green spot for example bamboo turns done uh so things are moving very quickly it has a nice pace as you start to throw those new cards in uh i just found the escalation and pacing of the game went really well but overall didn't uh didn't over say it's welcome yeah that's cool i i i've seen this trend of slow games not literally slow paced but kind of like the the slow tv movement of having these like very cozy subjects I guess it was kind of started by games like Wingspan, of course. So many of these games kind of ape that style of lovely, naturalistic art and real subject matter that's scientific, but from a biological angle. So it doesn't seem so scary as for hard science. Well, speaking of which, uh, Elizabeth Hargrave of, of Wingspan fame literally just... Uh I think it may still be on Kickstarter right now, a game called Undergrove. It's all about some more scientific take on mushrooms. <laughs> there you go. They're, they are popping up like uh, fungi. Yeah, so that's that's cool. Yeah, I, I can't say I would jump at the chance to play that. But, you know, if, if, if it was presented to me, I would definitely give that a shot. I like deck building games. Oh. Well, I will say that there's been a big trend in deck building games where you're using your deck of cards to manipulate a sort of secondary board state, whether it's a clank where you're doing a heist, basically, you're navigating a, a, a spaceship to, to, for a heist, or a Imperium, Imperium right. where we, you're using de decks to, to manipulate a worker placement game. And I, I, I like a lot of those games, but a lot of them take the focus away from the actual deck building the deck building itself doesn't feel as fleshed out or you only like uh, lost ruins of arnak still have very mixed feelings on partly because you only go through your deck like twice over the course of a game and so you really lose the impact of that deck building this is as this game is so snappy that you're going to go through the deck a few times really quickly uh and you, you do have a sense that you're building towards something so i i, I liked uh i like that very cool. Yeah, you'll have to show it to me next time we see each other. We'll do. <laughs> Great. All right. Um, any more games you played, or should we talk about our main segment? No, let's, let's take a break, and on the other side, we'll come out of the vault and talk about Fallout. War. War never changes. Da -na -na. And of course, we're talking about Fallout, the role-playing game, not to be confused with the PC role-playing game series, and not to be confused with Fallout Wasteland Warfare, which is a tabletop war game. We are talking about Fallout, the tabletop RPG by Modifius Entertainment, which came out in 2021. 
not to be confused with Fallout the board game or Fallout Shelter the the app or Fallout Shelter the board game <laughs> or Fallout the Pip Boy accessory that came as a collector's item. Yes, my 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 housemate had one of those. I got to play with it briefly. <laughs> there you go. So this is the first tabletop RPG we're covering, and I'm very excited uh, to cover it because I'm everyone has witnessed my transformation into an RPG nut over the course of this past year but why don't we talk about you know our background in in the genre in the in the um, medium of RPGs since yeah, it's a bit different a, probably a long time coming with with this, this, this chat on TTRPGs sort of sneaking into the podcast over the last few months. Definitely a little one-sided on your favor there in that I I have not played a tabletop role-playing game in about 10 years. Uh, I've had mixed mixed experience with them in the past, uh, both both my group back in Australia and then moving here, partly just due to my own, uh, should we say, social anxieties and, and how I approach games that I, I've internalized a lot more in the, in the last 10 years as to how, how what I enjoy about games. So it was really interesting to, to, to come back into this uh, 10 years later with, with a, looking at the hobby fairly new. My one experience has been with like D&D and, and Pathfinder, a lot of which I've, I've absorbed through cultural osmosis but you you've got quite a bit more experience especially on the on the gm side of things yeah yeah i'll I'll give my um experience and it is quite a bit more at least in terms of the number of years i've been playing i've probably been have played rpg games for the better part of 30 years i started out in junior high school which is obviously a while ago the systems i've mostly played are uh, Shadowrun, a few different versions. D&D, I've never GM'd, uh, never DM'd, but people have um, invited me to, to sessions in the past. I played just a r- few smattering of other systems. Like recently, I played one called Tiny D6, which is super fun, super lightweight. And I've GM'd something called Earth Dawn, which is very similar to Shadowrun. It came from the same publisher back in the day, Faza. And I've also done Star Trek Adventures, which is by this very same publisher, Modifius, uh, as is Fallout. So it uses a similar dice system to Star Trek Adventures. So I guess this was kind of like reminding myself how to play the core structure. The last year is, is the real renaissance for me. I <laughs> didn't do a lot of uh, face-to-face social interaction for a very long time for maybe obvious reasons. Um, there was a global pandemic going on, raging. So I guess that kind of got into my brain. I, I avoided uh, meeting up with people. And then, yeah, I just struck up conversation with my neighbors and they invited us to play D&D at their home. And I played a brief campaign, maybe you know, 10, 12 sessions with my neighbors, with um, my oldest kid and, and their kid, and really had a blast. And I guess that rekindled my passion for this this hobby. Yeah, it seems like tabletop RPGs have ironically had a bit of a renaissance during the pandemic, partly due to the the rise of uh, real, real play, uh, actual, yeah, actual, actual, play, play. actual plays, like Critical Role, and... 
but also as a, as a result of those popularities, there's been a lot more interest in virtual tabletop systems uh, and given people a lot more options to join these games without having to, to get a group together in person. So uh, between those two factors, I mean, there's, there's definitely some connections there, but it feels like I, I've seen that that community explode in popularity quite a lot. Like just the, the, the cultural awareness of Dungeons and Dragons is uh, so much uh, bigger now. Not like we've just had the, the movie last year. Right. Year. Yeah. <laughs> D&D and as a result, uh, tabletop role-playing games are as popular as they, they've ever been. Like this, this is the true golden age, despite what maybe some grognards would tell you. There are all different kinds and they come in all different stripes and are aimed at all different audiences. And they're really different than you might be than you might remember if the last time you touched them was 10 20 years ago so i would recommend anyone that kind of maybe perhaps like yourself felt a little burned or felt like it wasn't for you maybe you might find that there's a system that is more for you especially since most of our listeners are into uh, board games like the the crossover is not that far let me tell you and I'm really enjoying the convergence. Yeah, I mean, as, as someone with a lot of social anxiety, I was definitely taken to the to the, the board game hobby uh, to have some social interactions with it with sort of constrained rules. Uh, I'm sure that's not an uncommon uh, experience in board games. And tabletop role playing games definitely have a similar appeal but what i what i personally i've struggled with is just the need for actual role playing and improvisation on the fly and without it's not it, it, the rules are a little more uh loose shall we say you don't you, i'm generally fine in say a dnd combat but once you're you're out of combat and talking and interacting with with characters that's where i sort of lose uh focus a little more and it, it, it's 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 tricky because it's, it's, you never know, is, is the game at fault? Is the group at fault? Are you at fault? It's, it's really hard to, to internalize that sometimes and partly why I've avoid the, avoided the hobby for a lot of years. But I feel like I've, I've A, just improved at that and, and come to understand how I can make a, these games work for me. And, and of course, finding the right group, as, uh, as, as we'll discuss. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a big variation in you know what qualifies as a you know successful rpg session you know a lot of people joke that like dnd is really like two games right it's like a a tactical war game bolted onto this free form improv session and you know that's that's taking it to the extremes but a lot of that is true like combat is kind of like its own different game within dnd and D&D itself also comes with a lot of baggage, but I don't want to make this episode all about D&D, but it is the 800-pound gorilla, so probably that's going to be most people's entry point, uh, or at least what they've heard bandied about more often than anything else. Yeah, that, that is going to be tricky, and let's start talking about Fallout <laughs> very shortly, but I will say it's going to be hard for me, at least, to discuss Fallout on its own terms without like I have very little point of reference to other games other than to D and D, and so that's going to be my main point of reference sure. as to what what doesn't doesn't work. So and yeah, you you, you have a, a sort of broader point of uh, point of reference. Yeah, that. I'm happy to talk about you know the mechanical subtleties if if that's of any interest. But you know I could go on forever in that. Let me just start by talking about you know what 
what Fallout brings to the table. <laughs> Excuse the pun. So Fallout is a really cool system. It uses the 2D20 system, which utilizes 20-sided dice, just like the more uh, recent versions of D&D. Now, D&D actually uses a whole range of polyhedral dice, right down from D4s all the way up to D20. Uh, in this game, you're almost always using D20, with the exception of a couple of other custom dice for certain effects. The unlike D&D, this is what's called a roll under system. So basically you're trying to find the lowest number possible. So one is a critical success. 20 is a critical failure, you know, just an exceptional a failure, a complication. <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of these terms are, you know, interchangeable, but you always get two dice no matter what. So you're not really, you know, the, there is a curve of potential, right? You're not really just at the whim of dice. And that's what modern systems do really well, is they give players the opportunity to sway the narrative. And I won't touch on the specifics just yet. Let's just say that that's the core of this system. It's a framework. It's a very successful framework, just for the fact that it's been used in so many different settings and for so many different licenses. This uh, D 2D20 started off with a, a game called Actong Cthulhu, which, as you might imagine, is about World War II setting, Nazis and allies, and kind of Cthulhu-ish horrors. Uh, so it's Hellboy adjacent. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool system from what I can tell. Not exactly my cup of tea, but as popular enough to um, you know start uh, at least uh, I think about ten, over 10, 11 years ago, and it's still going strong. In fact, they just released a new setting, uh, original setting called Cohorse Cthulhu, which is set in kind of ancient Roman times with Cthulhu type horrors as well uh, the other uh, original setting to round things out is called dreams and machines which is a kind of numenera like far future setting but where this system really shines is in licensed properties like conan the barbarian i think there's Star Trek, you mentioned john carter of of mars dune based on the the movies and the books obviously dishonored another video game title and star trek adventures very very popular they all use the 220 2d20 system as its core so yeah this 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 is a popular system and modifius as a result is a successful company um, one of the more yeah. successful companies in the space I thought, thought that would be a good point of, of discussion here as to what does and doesn't work about the D20 system. And I mean, on a very visceral level, the, the concept of rolling rolling low does feel bad. I mean, we've all been trained that big number good. See, see, getting it, it's hard to be excited about rolling a one, shall we say, uh, <laughs> with the conditioning of D&D and various other board games. So that, that did take some adjusting too. Uh, I, I do think that there is a lot to like about this system, though. I mean, apart from the fact you're, you're just rolling more dice. I, the one thing I did like is where, say, D&D, &D, you are... You're rolling a dice and then doing math to that result. You're rolling a, a 17 and then adding your your modifiers on top of that to figure out uh, a number and then comparing that to the whatever arbitrary armor class the or, or skill check the, the, the GM has in mind. Whereas here, you always know before you roll exactly what your target is. Yeah, that's you're, right. You're, 
your role, you you, you got your um, say it's agility and small guns. I think for like shooting something, and so you add th- three and and two, five. Okay, I've, I know my target is five. I'm gonna roll the dice, and nothing nothing's gonna change the fact that my target is five. I know immediately when I roll it whether I've how many successes I have basically, and so that provides a lot more immediacy. I found and, and a little more granularity in that you're counting how many successes you've got rather than just a binary fail or, or succeed yeah it's a it's a subtle difference but it's it's quite cool i like how the difficulty is set by how good you are at something for instance it's very very easy for a gm you know if you want to make something very easy you could even set things to difficulty zero because rolling the dice you can net yourself this additional some additional currencies that might help you out or some complications that might throw you a curveball but you can make things from zero difficulty all the way up to five, I think is, is the, is where it tops out. But if you want to make something challenge, make it a, a difficulty of three. And that just means how many results you're expecting to find that come under that target number. And since that target number is based on the person that's rolling it, this makes for interesting situations where you have like a group test, like a group perception plus survival test. Well, one person will lead it off, probably the one with the best perception, and everyone can contribute one d20 to the mix. And the cool subtlety there is that everyone might be seeking a different target number based on how high or low their perception is. So basically, you for the GM, it makes it quite simple. Just rely on the the players to be able to look up in their charts. Are you a good perceptive guy or are you a good shooter or are you not? And, and invariably, that uh, makes for interesting results. Yeah, and those group roles do a, a good job at just giving some group cohesion and, and, and working together that you don't often get. I mean, another thing is uh, you've got the action points, which is basically a shared currency. Whenever you get, whenever you exceed the number of successes you need, you basically bank those as action points that you can later spend. And it's shared between the group. So anyone can spend them any time, which again adds a sort of better sense of, of, a, of a group uh, investment. But you can use those in a, in a bunch of different ways, including rolling an extra D20. And that's, how, that's how one way in which you might get to three successes by yourself for example but that, that, that was one thing like where you, you're you're rolling your d20s trying to get these successes you have a lot of options for how to uh, basically fix bad rolls you can spend those action points to uh, to, to to re-roll or add new dice you can spend luck points which is a, a sort of personal currency to to re-roll or uh, in different contexts, it varies what you can re-roll versus roll extra dice. But basically, there's a lot of options either way. Uh, and so you've, you always do feel like you have a lot of agency. Uh, almost too much, I might say, because like there's these complications you mentioned where basically if you roll a 20, which is a, a complication, uh, is going to be a, a critical fail. And, and I guess that's up to the GM's discretion to have some, uh, some particularly nasty <laughs> result happen. But th- there are so many options to basically counter a bad role that no complication ever actually st- stuck in effect. It always got re-rolled immediately. So I, I know I, maybe I, I'd prefer it if, if you couldn't re-roll complications and actually live with those compli- those, those consequences and have some more interesting uh, results. Yeah, for sure. I actually am at this po- moment not aware if you can re-roll 
uh, complications or not. Like I was allowing that at the table, but that's that's a uh, <laughs> maybe we had the easy mode on. <laughs> yeah, that that's a house rule that you can easily implement or not, right? And and that's another beauty of tabletop role playing games. Like I can turn on easy mode with having without having to tell you guys at the table that I'm turning on easy mode, right? If I because maybe sometimes I want the party to succeed and. Yeah, I will say of this system in particular, Fallout, they do want you to succeed. It's one of those big damn hero games. It swings hard and they want you to, you know, have that risk and those ups and downs. But ultimately, they want you to be the heroes of the day, just like this and (laughs) Star Trek Adventures. So in Fallout, they're called action points. In Star Trek Adventures, they're called momentum dice. But this is just a mechanism that's very in vogue right now in modern role-playing systems. I think, you know, Fate uh, has a system called Fate Points. Savage World has something called Bennies. And ba- they're basically this currency that you can, you can bank, you can spend individually, but you accrue as a group. And you it gives the players agency to choose for themselves when they really want something to happen then they they spend their their points to make it happen. So uh, a lot of modern games have that and a lot of older games like D&D don't. That led me to a great deal of frustration in many a session of D&D recently and in the past where in the important combat three or four rounds in a row I just don't make the D20 roll. And that's 45 minutes out of my life I'm not getting back. And it's not like I'm so, you know, I'm so petty that I can't accept a a failure here or there. But the problem (laughs) is I can't really do anything about that, right? I can't do anything narratively either. I just failed to to make it together. I just had a rough day that day. There isn't even a situation that happens behind the scenes that explains why I'm just failing. Whereas this, you know, I'm like pulling from some deep down resource and making sure I, I this important do or die situation really works like i'm risking it to make it happen and you i guess you just feel literally more agency and and for that yeah. i appreciate systems like that you don't really get the sort of the big highs and lows of that you would get in dungeons and dragons and that binary system here this the the the, the difficulty the, the results of, of rolling the dice generally feel more leveled out here, especially with those options. And as you said, that that does, for better or worse, there's, there's pros and cons to that. The, the, the players do feel a lot more empowered to what they want to do. But at the same time, it's always not the most interesting options as, a, as from a storytelling perspective. I, I often felt that it was very obvious what I should be doing at any moment for them to optimize my play. I mean, usually that's in, in combat, it's just point and shoot aim shoot aim shoot and it was i didn't find that particularly interesting what i found i kind of had to lean into and this was a i guess a more broader role-playing uh lesson that i've learned is that having a sense of the characters uh leaning into the characters like fears and disadvantages and and their 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 downsides what are they bad at what what do they what causes them to to do something inefficiently and playing into that to deliberately do something suboptimal, uh, to and leaning into that, I found I found quite satisfying. Yeah, I think I mean your point about it's obvious what to do. I think it might be a failure of imagination as well. Like in a role playing game, you can do anything. Like there's no reason why you can't 
pick up a clump of dust and throw it into your opponent's eye. Like even even if the rules don't say you can do that, the, in a flexible enough system, there are mechanical ways for you to do that. Or you know you can fiddle with the you know the f- flux capacitor in the background, or or knock the lights out. You know like there's all these things you could do, and maybe that's the brilliance of tabletop RPGs. Where is if it was a, a video game RPG. There's only so many things you can hit with your bullet, right? <laughs> and they're probably just the meat sacks that you're supposed to take down. You can't take out the console that's behind the the target or or, or the lights above them, right? Those things yeah, you, you could do. I didn't really get the sense that you had a lot of those, op- at least in combat, that you had a lot of options outside of a, a point and shoot or, or taking a cam or repositioning yourself. It, it felt no, very... No, absolutely you do. Like the yeah, deep- I mean... Like combat in this system is not a different game than like it is in D and D. Like this is the same fantasy making that is going on when you play the regular conversational side or the the mission taking side or the social side. Like you should be able to do whatever you want to do. Well, maybe that's just oh, yeah. my opinion. I, I mean, at some point. A lot of the that's just going to come down to our familiarity with the system and we'd get more comfortable with that and, and be able to improvise a little more. But ultimately, if you need to take down that, that feral ghoul, you're going to have to shoot at a bunch, largely. <laughs> yeah, as is the, the core source material, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Speaking of, this game does hew very closely to the source material. I'm just going to c- touch upon a couple of more points about the mechanics before we move on because this this game is 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 very very faithful to the source material yes (laughs) i want to talk about luck points so luck points are as far as i'm aware original just to this iteration of 2d20 as in it's not in the rest of the 2d20 games this game like you might imagine utilizes the special attribute system which is (laughs) the pretty much the first thing you do in any fallout video game that you play You, you take the quiz right you take the goat or you read the little children's book that helps you determine the spread of your seven attributes, which of course spell out the word special. Everyone's special. And the last letter in that list is L for luck. So in this game, this game has luck, which is a stat, but say your luck is five or seven or whatever, it means that you have five or seven luck points, which is another currency that you can spend whenever you want to, uh, obviously, when when the chips are down or when you need to, but this point system regenerates every basically like long rest, um, every key point in the story, and you can utilize it to re-roll things. You could even use it to make something exist just out out of the blue in an area that maybe didn't exist before. Like yeah, that was one of the coolest I need a things wrench. I noticed. Yeah, I don't think any of us ever actually used that, but I, I think partly we just were really distracted with learning the game. Uh, right. that, that would be a really cool feature to to find the ammo you need, or to, to yeah, to find the perfect item, or, or take a lucky shot, for example. Uh, you could do some. Really, that was one of the few things that you could really enables the player to do some some think, thinking outside the box behavior, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, and that's somewhat like that Blades in the Dark thing I was telling you before about how you could just 
say you can recon the fact that this item was here in this situation well you can do that in fallout too and and you're right i didn't emphasize it very much but that is something you can do here and and that's original to fallout uh the the 2d20 game so that's cool the perks the perks are pretty much um which are like everyone loves from fallout they're very very famous they're lifted pretty much straight from the source material. That's mostly how you level up in this game is is by choosing new perks. Uh, the location die is lifted right from the video games as well. You can do you know body part by body part specific armor and hits. And there's a that's one of the custom dice is a twenty sided basically body part die right you roll the die unless you choose to aim which you absolutely can you um, roll a die to pull up a random spot that you hit and just be careful getting that mixed up with your uh the the, the, the dice that you share with your wife shall we say <laughs> right those sexy <laughs> dice yeah, yeah exactly. uh, i think pretty much most of the sides probably do point at center mass or something just because there's more of it to hit but yeah if you don't call a body part which adds extra difficulty to the, to the roll unless you have a specific perk which i think you know well about uh yes so so my character was a, is a vault dweller so i had access to vats which players of the video games would of course know so i i could basically target whatever body part i want as a as a, as a free action yeah i i didn't utilize that too much so there wasn't many cases in which it was particularly helpful but again early days yet there i'm sure there'll be much more difficult enemies with particular uh proclivities to to aim at <laughs> yeah so the 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 thing i'm trying to get across is that these books like this game is mostly d20 but so much effort and attention and care has been taken to customize this into something that fits the fallout world and it has a very different flavor as a result from the star trek adventures setting which has most of the same bones but it's just those certain differences that make it feel like you're in that world like you know radiation poisoning the magazines that you pick up which i think your character also picked up a magazine recently which gained you a temporary perk so many cool aspects that are lifted straight from the game and i think fans of the video games would would no doubt appreciate all those touches that they made oh yeah there's a lot of great flavor there i don't know that it all contributes a lot meaningfully like the perks for example i don't feel are particularly exciting most of them just give you plus one result to a skill check in this particular context like they really just uh, stat increases contextual stat increases they don't really change your options of what your character is capable of like some of the feats in dungeons and dragons for example not to to beat that comparison uh yeah they didn't, they didn't really fundamentally change your character in any meaningful way well i think they are as effective as the perks are in the video game for instance there's a whole range of things that just make you 10% better at this or 20% better at that. Or yeah. sometimes you can pull out the mysterious stranger, right? <laughs> Where the heck does that come from? I know it's a classic trope in Fallout as a perk, but you can do that in this game too. So that's a rare exception. Yeah. <laughs> so you do have some off the wall uh, perks that you can utilize like that. And they've converted them to just kind of work in this setting as well. So long as you, you choose them, if uh, the players in your party end up choosing them. 
yeah, uh, one other tangent uh, I want to quickly go on is that it's similar to the, uh, based on the video game, the, the characters you can play are representing the, the, the races, for lack of a better term, in the Fallout game. So you, you can play as a human uh, or like a, a vault dwelling human or as a, a, a ghoul or a robot or a super mutant. And I found like those thematically provided quite a broad range of, of character types that sort of fu fundamentally change how you approach your character and different senses of humanities or of humanity that lets you really lead into that theme of, of what you're, what this world means to your character and how how they approach civilization and and other types of characters i thought, I thought there's some really rich material to to delve into there if you're willing to yeah i agree with that i appreciated that fact that you could be a character of all those different types you might think that's obvious if you come from the dnd side where there are these fantastical races but fallout the video game doesn't let you play as anyone other than a male or female human right? Like you can't start as a Mr. Handy, but in this game, you can start as a Mr. Handy or a, as a, a super mutant. And it gives you the ability to do that. And as a result, you can pretty much recreate any one of the, you know, very well-loved or even well-hated companions <laughs> that you can from any of the modern uh, Fallout games. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm playing a vault dweller, my per my character personally, but we've got a we've got at least one ghoul, one robot in the, in the in the the group, and like interacting with those provided some some really interesting character interactions back and forth, basically, and rethinking about how how we we treat each other, basically, that I I quite enjoyed. But f but further to that, you have you you have your race, but you don't really have a class like you do in Dungeons and Dragons. So bef other than picking what race you are and getting some 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 perks from that you can basically build your character however you want you you have your 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 skill stats and that's going to be the main source of your sort of character identity otherwise yeah so you, you, you have quite a bit of flexibility in how you build your character yeah i think that's like um you know you you, you love it or, or you hate it like um class based systems have fallen a little bit out of favor these days in uh, more modern RPG systems. And even in video uh, game RPGs, like there used to be classes really quite prominently featured in games like the Elder Scrolls games. Like, I don't know if you recall, but I know you played a ton of like Morrowind and Oblivion and even the older titles I'm sure had very forward facing class names. You could always override them, but they always gave you the option to choose from a list of classes first. You have to pick a particular direction to start out, at least, yeah. Yeah, and some of that was just as an aid, like, I don't want to choose these, like, 36 different skills. <laughs> uh, I just want a theme, and great. For whoever wanted that, you can do that. But more and more recently, I feel like the newer games... Well, Skyrim um, didn't have classes now that I think of it, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, precisely. I don't think it did either. Maybe it was hidden in the background a bit. But um, I suppose Starfield being the more latest iteration, it had a very mild class. Well, pick a, you pick a background to, similar right. to how you'd pick a, a, a race back background here. Yeah, it was just a few different choices and a few different like there. I think there was three different kind of dials you can pull on. But uh, yeah, your background was much more substantial than any of those three kind of stats 
choose, um, as I recall. But yeah, I think more and more games are shying away from class-based systems because, in fact, you know, everyone wants to multi-class in the end, and, yeah. <laughs> and classes are quite restrictive if you if you really you feel think a bit about trapped it. by them sometimes. Yeah, for sure, they're they're kind of a trope, a trope that's been leveraged well in cool video games like Ultima or Final Fantasy or even you know Final Fantasy Tactics with the multi-classing and the and prerequisites is such a cool way to level out your characters but in a lot of ways class-based systems kind of have kind of outworn their welcome too at least in terms of tabletop RPGs See, so it does mean you're not really going to get a sense of character identity in in terms of your mechanics everyone will have largely have access to the same yeah options in terms of what, what how they shoot at enemies and all that sort of thing but yeah the, the, your character identity like behind this how you how you play that character well i would argue that your character identity is you right <laughs> you're not falling yeah, yeah, yeah. into some <laughs> into some silo or a bucket that has a label on it you are you're mapping out what you want to be as your own character and of course you can always start with a theme or a trope and then think about how that might logically bear out but you're not limited yeah. uh, to begin and with. that comes easier to some people than others though like that's something i've always struggled with and it's something i i think i've gotten better with it's come a little more naturally this time like i've, I've found that what i've always I, i've always struggled with talking in my character's voice i cannot really express them in first person it's easier for me to express my character in third person describe what they're doing describe their motivations but i can't speak as them that's something i personally struggle with uh, but uh thinking of way like thinking of ways of how that character interacts with everyone else in the party has, has been another trick that's it's really it's really helped for me and looking looking for opportunities for those other players like giving them an in to to or making suggestions of what something appropriate they might want to do to to build the party out so i've I really enjoyed that and and in D and D before I've, I've always struggled with the sense of say uh what, what do they call it the alignments and there's always one person in the group with who's the the chaotic evil character and they just do, doing things for <laughs> that goes against you, the, your own motivation like why why would i ever ally with this person and getting really granular about that the alignment made it quite difficult to justify sometimes whereas fallout's a little more uh flexible <laughs> i feel yeah uh but also i'm just more flexible as a, as a character and ra rather than having a very clear I, I went in with a pretty loose sense of who my character is and let the party guide who that character becomes yeah. uh, I, I think i should say i should say i used a pre-gen character i i didn't really have an a, enough i didn't have a, a strong concept of who i wanted to play but all all of this the the pre-gen sounded really interesting and gave me a good core that i then used as a seed to sort of let i it was i found it a fun experience to discover them as we went and, and sort of tweak who they were based on what we came across, based on the other characters in the party. And so that, that, I, that I, I found quite enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. I am a ardent supporter of using pre-gens, especially if you just want to test drive a system, right? It's like, don't, don't make the commitment. Don't make the players make the commitment <laughs> and do all this homework out up front. Like that's a recipe for turning players off of a, of an activity is making them do homework beforehand. I mean, if, if they're really passionate about creating their own custom creation, then, then go for it. Some people, some people spend, 
you know, 20, 12 hours in, in the, uh, the character designer for video games, right? So good on them. If that's what you love, do it, but don't make them do it. <laughs> in fact, I think all but one of the players in our current um, campaign is using pregens, right? I think that sounds about right. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is this is more broadly talking about role playing as, as a, as in general rather than the Fallout system specifically. But yeah, I, I do. I did really in, have learned to enjoy the process of discovering a character over multiple uh, sessions rather than just sitting down at the start and just yeah creating someone fully formed. <laughs> I am all about that. Maybe that's just, this is my theater background coming out. Yes, I was a theater kid. Improv is an actual thing I did uh, in the past on stages. So. I, <laughs> some of these things are more natural to me, although they're a bit rusty, but I know they're not natural to everyone. My DM in the D&D game we're playing doesn't even use alignment systems. I don't like them. They just feel like a script that you have to follow. Don't, why would you want to play a game where I have to follow a script? I, I want to be <laughs> able to discover things and discover yourself it just seems like more like a natural life that way. And be able to change as a character and have developments and... and, and Discover yourself. Le learn learn lessons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm 100% for that. So, yeah, I don't mind if you feel like you have your character voice down or, or not. I, as a GM, have played with people that narrate, you know, in the third person. That's great. And if you want to talk in the first person, that's great, too. And, and I think it's actually kind of cool to have a mix of that in, in a party. So I like all, 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 all kinds that way. Um, but in terms of this game, Fallout, I think this book is a real treat for fans of the video game series. I think that the art in this game is absolutely beautiful. Obviously, it helps that probably a lot of it came straight from the publisher. But there's just top-notch illustrating style. And, and, and I know, Daniel, you don't have probably access to the to the full uh, core book i have this the starter set uh that includes like condensed uh rules oh cool yeah the starter set and the quick start guide which is freely available anyone can seek it out on modifius.net or modifius.us right now if they want to check that out it's on drive through rpg as well go grab it the starter set comes uh, actually all those three things i mentioned the starter set the quick start guide the core rules comes with an original pre-written adventure, which I'm not ashamed to say that I've followed and lifted from liberally, but the, the art direction and the art quality is all consistent across them all. Great graphic design. I can't speak for the writing and editing of every single line. I haven't read the 400 page core book <laughs> front to back when you don't have to. Like, I was literally surprised by new sections of the book I was flipping through today. I was like, oh, that'll be great for, you know, writing your own campaign. All this background stuff that's lovingly crafted. Like, I think I can't say enough about the high quality of this core rule book. First of all, it's 400 pages plus, and you shouldn't judge a book by how large it is. But <laughs> in D&D, you have to buy three you know, 60 to $80 books instead of one, you know, 60 to $80 book here to play the game. You don't even have to do that. You can get a box starter set, which got has some cool pieces in there. You can, you don't even have to do that. You can get a quick start guide PDF with pre-generated characters to get you going. 
Uh, of course, if you get the, the full book, you'll get some nice things. If you get the starter set, you'll get some cool stuff like tokens and dice. And I'm a little bit jealous of you that you have the original Fallout dice that come with this game. They're actually quite a bit bigger and chunkier than your standard D20s that you get from you know any any typical store, actually. Yeah, you could use them as uh, as ammunition. <laughs> They're pretty chunky. They are very chunky, and uh, the D6s, which are used mostly for combat, but you can also use them for generating random tables of loot and things like that. They're quite cute as well. Like to, I think a couple of sides of them have bullet shots, and a couple sides have you know your typical Pip Boy face. Very very familiar if you play any of the video games <laughs> yeah so it, it just fits right into the theme i think yeah speaking of which you mentioned all these loot tables there are a quite a lot of subsystems that we didn't really touch upon but there i mean in theory there's a, a sort of food fatigue is it fatigues sleep i don't know what it's called exactly but there's like a a, 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 a hunger thirst meters and you can track and then sleep meters yeah and yeah for crafting sure. and a lot of that and you can get really nitty-gritty into the the weeds here our group didn't necessarily touch on that i don't know that like tracking or that was is particularly fun in a, in a tabletop setting as opposed to a video game where it's doing all that background stuff for you we I mean we did have one character who's who's I think somewhat interested in crafting and it didn't it, it, it didn't uh, take a lot of time but I can see like some you might you might get one person who's particularly interested in exploring a a subsystem that everyone else isn't really interested in that could drag things down as a as a group I think you have to try and f- decide how in the weeds you want to get with those yeah I actually look at the kind of depth of those systems as a plus. Even if you're you're correct, not everyone is going to want to engage with it. Just the fact that it's there as an option is an incredible plus to the types of players and types of groups that are going to go all over that sort of stuff. This game has an incredibly well thought out crafting system that you can use to basically create anything you can in the video game series. You can craft food, items, weapons, you can... You can create mods, just like, once again, just like the video game, for your armor, (laughs) power armor. Yes, there's power armor and weapons. Like, it's pretty much lifted straight off, and it looks super cool. We didn't touch it at all, essentially. But just the fact that it's there, I think, will make a lot of seasoned players, players that have been doing, you know, more than half a dozen sessions, pretty excited that that's that's what they can look forward to and you're right there's a a well thought out survival mechanism as well but uh, i think even in the video game you can toggle on or off the sort of oh yes hardcore survival rules right so it's really going to be up to to the taste of your group i think yeah, it's worth mentioning too. There's, I think they recently released uh, an expansion book that adds settlement building That's to, right. to the game. Uh, so we don't know much about that, the details there. And I, again, that sounds like a little too in the weeds to what I'd, I'd want from this. To like, don't want to be tracking particular like defense points and 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 resource management that uh, certainly gives you an option if, if that's what you're yeah, interested in. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's what I love about modular systems like this. I guess you can kind of look at it like a board game expansion or even a video game expansion is if something like that 
excites you, well, go out and get it. But if it doesn't excite you, you don't have to engage with it. And even if you think for your group it might go a little bit over their heads, you don't have to turn it on. You know, that's the beauty of it. You're not only the, you know, the AI that controls how the NPCs work. You are the, the AI that determines, you know, which mechanisms are turned on um, as the GM. You, you have the power to do that and you can gauge from your players' reactions or just go straight out and ask them, like, how much of this stuff do you guys want to engage with? And, you know, if anyone has ever played systems like Shadowrun back in the day, you know that one player was really, really excited to be the the decker who played basically their own little game within a game uh, whenever they had to hack a subsystem of the Matrix to get a particular <laughs> data. And everyone else could go take an hour and a half break. <laughs> so hopefully there won't be anything quite like that here. But uh, if someone does want to craft, maybe they can stick around for another 15, 20 minutes after the session ends and they can crank out a few more weapons or items. So Yeah, can, it's probably up to the group at that point to facilitate right. particular player preferences and all the group as a whole, I guess. So, that, yeah, not necessarily blame on the game, uh, but that, that's something that you might need to take into account. <laughs> yeah, I think there's nothing to complain about there. Just having options is not a bad thing, especially if you can just turn them right off. Yep, that's just part of the skill of being a GM, I imagine. That comes with time. <laughs> it, it, it does come with some practice, for sure. But like listening to your players' needs is the primary skill of a GM. If ever there was a bad session of an RPG, it's probably because the GM wasn't listening to their group or at least reading their reactions. If something's turning them off, then don't head down that road again, <laughs> you know, or give them more <laughs> of what they like. So I feel like we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, we can probably wrap it up, but I just wanted to yeah. touch upon a couple of few more points. I've been pretty positive about this system so far, but it's not all perfect. So I'm just going to list off a few criticisms. This game, I don't love the the body part die. <laughs> I actually think it's... <laughs> It's kind of terrible, I think. It hasn't really been particularly important at this point yet. It doesn't seem important. It slows things down. Most people are not going to want to spend the money to buy that custom die or use a standard D20 and look up some the result on a table. Loot tables slow things down. Yeah. yeah just, <laughs> just make everything hit center mass on the body unless someone makes a called shot. So that's something I would change, and that's something I would recommend changing even in our ongoing group. The skills list, which I would call kind of like the vocabulary, right? These are the verbs. These are the doing words. The The skill list is super small. Yeah. Uh, which is really, really, it's actually quite faithful to the video game. But because the list of skills is very small, I feel like to most players that narrows down the vision of what they could potentially do. And I'm not one of those. Well, exactly. That's what I was yeah pointing out earlier like point and shoot felt like so often the only option and like you really have to think you have to force yourself to to role play and think outside the box a little more yeah there's very few social skills or very few non-combat skills in the game there's obviously your you know computers and things like that but um if the vocabulary is narrow it's going to limit the depth of the conversation so i i would prefer that it was a little bit more liberal and a little bit broader there or else as a GM and a, as a group, just be more flexible. If if you think We're guiding you the players a little more, <laughs> yeah. If you if you think you should be able to do something, let let them do it. The skill plus attribute system, I think, is very flexible and I think is really cool. For instance, 
if someone has received a you know a gunshot wound and someone's going to use their intelligence plus medicine to heal someone else can help but they don't have to use the same combination of skills and attributes right they can use their uh, endurance plus so like medicine to hold the hold the, the wound rag on the wound yeah, yeah or yeah. hold up a light or like if you're helping the situation you can actually on the fly make different unique combinations and i think that's actually a beauty of the system but it this does a little force you to, to work outside the box a little bit, but you have to work for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's a bunch of other fiddly rules that I, to my taste, I didn't love. There's environmental effects. There's modifiers, fire, radiation, fire rates, <laughs> damage effects, ammo types, injuries, uh, body part injuries. Injuries are kind of <laughs> annoying. Like there's so, so many like fiddly things. I don't necessarily think that's inherently a bad thing because those are most of those are not core systems. The leveling up system is a little underwhelming. Mostly you just raise an attribute and then you gain a perk, which well, yeah, well, that's what I was yeah. earlier. Like the per- I didn't find the perks particularly exciting. Most of them are just yeah, ten percent uh, increase to this to this action. Yeah, it's not, not doesn't fundamentally change your character and make you feel more powerful. Yeah, it's not nearly as dramatic as D and D leveling up, but at the same yeah. time, leveling up in D and D never made sense to me. Is because why did <laughs> yesterday I wasn't able to do this, but today I am. It doesn't really make sense. I know the that old Morrowind system of you had a dream. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I prefer Earth Dawn, a really cool old system where to level up, you actually had to seek out a teacher. And ah. those teachers didn't exist e- in every city or every town. So you you might have the ability to level up, but you can't do it until you complete a quest to find the right. Any- anyways, I'm getting hey. off the track there. <laughs> but cool, cool, cool concepts. Those little niggles out of the way i really love the system i think it's a great value definitely even if you're just a fan of the video games like just go buy this book and look at the artwork or, or read the copious chapters on this little town or this little village or this mechanism or this corporation just super super cool stuff that's it i don't think it's gonna convince anyone to be a fan of that universe if they're not already there oh yeah it does rely a little bit on short like going through the story at least like a lot of shorthand of prior knowledge of 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 having played those games i wouldn't necessarily know what's going on why what the implications of talking to the brotherhood of steel would be and and, uh yeah, it's although the, yeah the importance of like we you see a vault. What's what's <laughs> what's the deal with those? So yeah, you, it really does help to obviously be a fan of the game. Not to say that it's impossible, but you'd be doing a lot more work if you if you didn't have that background knowledge. And and the Fallout games do come with their own baggage. The themes of those games have gotten incredibly muddled over the years. I, I find especially Fallout Four. Which is set some which which this is set in the same time period of, is set something like two hundred years after the the bombs fell. For what it's worth, I, I think it's something like that. It really does feel like no, not much time has passed in those two hundred years. It, it's really stuck in this sort of sense of arrested development. Uh, you're never really getting beyond the post-apocalypse and truly rebuilding. It's it's always like, it doesn't give a good sense of how much time has passed and that things have changed. You, you're still going into to shops that haven't been ransacked yet, or and. It still feels like it's very much caught up in the moment of the bombs have just fell, almost living in the moment after, rather than moving forward 
Yeah, I think that that's kind of a shared weakness with the video games as well. And and absolutely, this game like 100% assumes you are playing in Boston. It 100% assumes that you want to visit familiar locales from the Fallout 4 game. Even the adventure that we've been playing through, which is borrowed a lot from the source material, uh, it has you visiting places like, you know, spoiler alert diamond city, diamond city and <laughs> yeah. and running into you know very typical things like the brotherhoods of steel and ghouls and things like that so i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either because you could with just a change of a few nouns and verbs here or there you can switch it over into new vegas or something like that of course you need to use your imagination but that's not too hard and you're right you have to be a fan of fallout i think to enjoy this I think one of the people playing with us actually this is the first time they've ever played a role-playing game, which I'm quite I feel honored to kind of shepherd them into the <laughs> No pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure at all. To shepherd them into this hobby. Hopefully they enjoy it. If if you're a fan of this world, then you're gonna enjoy it. Like this Modifius games, if anything, are excellent at fan service. Their games look great, the writing is on point. And basically, this book is chock full of fan service, left, right, and center. Everything from like the pull-out posters to the to the artwork to the adventures are just like a love letter to the worlds that they are allowing you to inhabit. So, if you yeah, want a Fallout role-playing game, this is definitely that. <laughs> so go check it out if it is. It succeeds as what it's trying to be, uh, the, at the very least. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. So I give my thumbs up and I'll probably leave it there because I could talk forever. Yeah. And I think we're going to be tentatively in plan to keep playing, right? We, we started out as a, a one shot that went on, like that dragged over three sessions. Uh, but beyond that, we, we did continue. Uh, we even got an in-person session in, which was, which was great fun. And I, I, I believe we're going to try and get this going, assuming it, it, we manage to schedule it in easier said than done but uh yeah we i would like to to play a bit more awesome that's great to hear yeah i'm all for it i'm i have materials to continue and it's cool that we did try online and in person my preference is is generally in person it's a little bit easier uh, less advanced setup but yeah online just adds another learning curve to to overcome (laughs) yeah for sure i mean i'm very happy that such tools exist especially if you live far apart maybe you know your game group has split, spread out over geo- the geography over the years so it's great for mm. them if you want to you can find plenty well, of stuff w- on roll 20 it's got the fallout material there yeah i was gonna say there's there's official modules on roll 20 at least uh we, we were using foundry uh, i'm not sure if that was official content we're using there or if you no, that was all like fan made and stuff that i added but yeah go check them out if, on your vtt of choice virtual tabletop you will probably find fallout related materials and go check out the website there's tons of books for this this world as well if you like me tend to rely on pre-written material i just feels like i have a safety net there um the core rule book is great it's all you need but there are three to four pre-written adventure supplements there's a full-length campaign called winter of adam sounds really cool and that recent settlement guide that uh, daniel mentioned so lots of cool material out there 
yeah, and as, as, it, as it is, this is, has reawakened my interest in tabletop role-playing games. It's never going to be my first priority, I don't think. I can only manage so many of them at a time. But I, as I'm about to go to PAX, as I mentioned earlier, where there is a, a huge tabletop presence there, even potentially more so than the, the board game presence there, which is the, the main reason I'm going. But I'm, I'm very interested to see some of the other uh, role-playing content over there. So there's already a couple of things I have in mind that I'm going to take a look at and potentially bring home and curious to, to explore some other systems. Yeah, I am very excited to hear your report uh, from PAX. I myself, uh, for the first time ever, I'm planning to, for our local convention, Terminal City Tabletop Convention, which I know you help run, I'm going to do the role-playing track uh, this coming year. Right now, tabletop role-playing games are my number one gaming passion. They're the thing that's taking up most of my mind space. That might change in a year or two, but I would love to talk about more RPGs. Sometime in the future, ask me about my egg theory <laughs> of, of role-playing games, and I'd be happy to bore you about that subject anytime. Yeah, obviously, they're a little hard to talk about on the podcast. They do require a lot more research, <laughs> shall we say, but we'll, we'll definitely continue to incorporate them in some fashion but but i'm i'm curious to hear your thoughts too uh anyone listening if you both want to hear your experience as playing ttrpgs either as a seasoned player or, or a newbie like myself or what you think of, of us talking about them more have, have you enjoyed this discussion or would you rather keep it to the tape to, to uh to video games we'll, we'll, we'll i'm curious to hear uh, any feedback the way I look at it, you know, we call ourselves Omni Gamers. This is just one another pillar of that great hobby, and I'm glad that we finally delved into it a, a little bit more fulsomely. Absolutely, I doubt it will be the last one we cover. Put it that way. <laughs> cool. Sounds great. All right, I'm happy to leave it there. By the time you're listening to this, I'll be on my way to PAX. If you're going to be there, be sure to track me down. I will have a whole bunch of Canadian snacks with me. I'll have stickers uh, and, and and more fun stuff. So I'd love to say hi uh, and, and play a game potentially. Uh, to be honest, though, going in, I'm not even anticipating playing many games. I'm just excited to, to see everyone and, and meet all, the, all the, the friends I've made over the last few years online. And speaking of which, for the next episode, we don't actually have a particular game locked in. There will be... I, I, the current plan is some sense of PAX debrief. I'm going to talk to a couple of friends who I'm going with to, to maybe get, get a guest or two. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, st stay tuned to uh, our socials to, to find out exactly what we're going to discuss. But chances are it'll be some form of, of PAX debrief. Awesome. Can't wait to hear it. And have uh, you got anything to plug there, Mark? Um, I don't. I'm just cooking up. I'm actually cooking up a homebrew role-playing game with my oldest kid right now, but it's mostly for them and their friends. So maybe once it's made a little bit of progress, I might talk about it some more. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to give my, my daughter her first RPG system. It's the color... Oh, I can't, I'm forgetting the name, but it's basically coloring in uh, RPG from Dice Up games i want to say dance uh so yeah looking to, to explore that with her that'd be, that'd be a good entry level uh for me as a beginner as well <laughs> awesome let me tell you about a little system called no thank you evil which is from monty cook games i was looking at that at our our uh, friendly local gaming store just uh just this week <laughs> yeah dot 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 we'll talk about it when you get back okay well uh catch me at board game feast uh on on 
tentatively for a little bit longer on on Twitter, at least uh, until we get through packs. Uh, also on Blue Sky and now Threads, if if that's your uh, jam. Very cool. <laughs> okay, let's leave it there. And until next time, when you're back in town, everyone have a very balanced diet of gaming. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Mark. Bye.